In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gazpacho police. Oh my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And I'm Marissa Cubis. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. We are joined today by our friend, friend of the pod, Marissa Cabus, writer, consultant, newly engaged woman. Happy Monday. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> Obviously not even in the top three most important things about you, but it is worth noting because just to marry a man in these political conditions, it's brave. It's a weird time to get engaged to a man, I have to say. Um, but we started dating two weeks after Trump was elected. So it's sort of just been a really crazy journey. Interesting. One. Yeah, we kind of had this framing. Um, so really, it's just, you know, another another notch on the list of weird things that have happened since we've known each other. <laughs> Hopefully you've made it through the worst administration you will experience as a couple. I think so. Yeah. I hope yeah. so. I mean, when Biden was elected, it was like, wow, end of an era. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, truly. I'm glad that he got this ask in before before Trump announced his his second run. Exactly. That, that seemed important and meaningful for, for the for the journey. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be telling our grandkids about that. I think it will be meaningful. At this rate, Trump will still fucking be alive. I swear this man's going to be around forever. Oh, yeah. He's going to live to spite us. There's he will. absolutely no doubt. That's what people like that do. Assholes never die. It's just a fact. They, their bitterness and their spite and their cruelty, it keeps their cells moving. I, think. I mean, I'm sure sociopaths with like without the physiological like impact that like stress causes stress and guilt and shame. I mean, how sprite they must be really. Yeah, except I don't think this is a man without stress. I just think he doesn't have a conscience. You know, <laughs> he's definitely stressed. You know? <laughs> like yes. thing. People who are zen don't throw ketchup at the wall multiple times, apparently. So, you know, I don't know. But again, That's true. The, just because you're alive doesn't mean your life is like you're healthy. Unless you're the healthiest president ever. He keeps defying the odds somehow. <laughs> somehow. And I'm sure he... he continue will continue to do that is another monday in our dystopian hellscape i mean i'm curious what were the highlights of your weekends we are living all in parts of the country are you on the east coast right now marissa i am yes yes so we're in a part of the country that is not like spontaneously catching on fire which we're very grateful for uh sammy what what you what was your weekend what was the highlight of your weekend um, probably getting my eggs retrieved and oh then, no big deal <laughs> but but um Corresponding Apparently, after I left, a pro-life protest group showed up at the clinic and caused quite a stir. My doctor said that they were dressed like the January 6th insurrection <gasps> and that there was like a, a bunch of priests there and they were like yelling at people. 
And yeah. And this so is a I fertility clinic. I would have been just drugged up enough to like really go. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would have been amazing. Yeah, the I would have liked clip. to see that, honestly. <laughs> I'm not a violent person, but I would have screamed or just been like, you guys are fucking ugly. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, no one wants to look at you. Get out of here. I mean, am I better than Matt Gates by saying that? Maybe that wasn't. Maybe that wasn't nice. I would love for that to have gone viral and then be like, this woman. This this woman also has multiple podcasts. <laughs> and, and that, like, because you're drugged. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying that would have been my like drugged up reaction. Mm-hmm. It is so telling that this happened to you in like you know, Manhattan, I assume one of the most liberal enclaves. And these people are, whether they're coming from here or I know some of them come from Staten Island or that it can, that it can happen to you. And Sammy, what was this just in a, just a fertility clinic or just like your gynecologist's office? They don't perform abortions, but as you know, they have embryos, you know, there's lots of embryos being created not for the purpose of birthing. And we know we hate that. So <laughs> hate that there. That's the worst yeah. thing that's happening in the planet right now. Well, I just love that they didn't even do their, their homework properly. Like they're at a fertility clinic. They, they probably think abortions happen there. Like, I don't probably. think they, they know the ins and outs of what a fertility clinic is, but they're just like, Oh, babies, fertility is women. Let's go storm the the capital of babies. And (laughs) well, at least, at least these motherfuckers with climate change will have to go outside and protest in increasingly hot conditions. It wasn't a, I I imagine a pleasant day to spend your afternoon harassing women outside of a fertility clinic. Yeah. I mean, it's good preparation for hell, right? <laughs> exactly. That's a good way to look at it. That's a charitable view. What about what about you, Marissa? Highlight of your weekend? Um, the highlight of my weekend uh, was getting domestic partnered to my fiance for health insurance. Amazing, which is so American. I did that it, too. Yeah, it's so like I I had obviously thought about it before, but then when we were actually doing it, it was just so like wow, people in other countries do not have to do this. And and obviously no regrets. I'm very happy to be domestic (laughs) partner to my domestic partner. But like the fact that we have to like give the city $35 and be like, yeah, it's legit. uh, So that I can get health insurance and not spend $1,100 a month on my own is insane. It's insane. Appalling. I know. I saw you post on that and it was just such a funny image because it's like, oh, yay. And it's like a cute moment, but also such a sort of sinister moment. It's like such a terrible reflection on our nation. You know what? Good for you for waiting until you got engaged to do that because I did that like years before we got engaged. And I think it made, I think it, it made this my fiance, very patient. I don't think he was in much of a run. She was like, she gets my health insurance. We're legally partnered. Totally. I'll take my time. <laughs> no, we had thought about it before. And I was like, you know what? At this point, I've waited, waited it out. Might as well. Yeah. It's worth saving the money. It's worth yeah. saving the money. Yep. And Ugh. so we'll, we'll get, you know, married, married next year. But uh, for now, I won't go without health insurance. Like so many <laughs> Americans. It's just... It's so bizarre how like... Um, how health insurance is attached to these like aspirational things like careers Mm -hmm. or partnership or like there's no, if you're just like a person, you know, existing, there's, there's nothing. And also how good your job is or the company determines your health insurance. It's really so stupid. 
So I mean, if you're single and you either are unemployed or you work an hourly job or just a job that doesn't provide health insurance, you are considered less than in this country. Your life is inherently worth less to the government. And um, you're right. It's very much tied to like upward mobility and the, the American dream and the ideas of like what we should be achieving when you should be able to be single and unemployed and still have health insurance. Like that seems pretty basic and yet is a revolutionary idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I can't remember where I was thinking about, as we've been hearing a lot of stories about, you know, women and pregnant people in very dire conditions as they wait for their miscarriages to be deemed like treatable, you know, it is not, not to at all like parallel or compare these things, but they're, it's nothing new in America for people to stay at home very, very sick and in dangerous conditions because they can't quite go to the hospital yet. So it's like, just just add it to the list of reasons that people are bleeding out at home. Either they're worried their doctor is going to turn them away or they can't be hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Like the word medical debt should not, that should not be a phrase that exists in a healthy society. It's just dumb because like what it would cost to treat a UTI is significantly less than what it costs yeah. to treat a kidney infection. Yet because people can't get treated for their UTI because they don't have insurance, they have to mm-hmm. wait until it's bad enough that it could cause lifelong damage and that they'll then go to the ER and then they still can't pay it. It's not like they, just because they got became a kidney infection that they suddenly like got money to pay for fixing it. <laughs> and then that becomes a burden on everybody. And that is spread out over everyone else. But also, why is an aspirin like $14 in the hospital? There's so much wrong. I mean, Marissa, you, I mean, we're talking about health insurance and a lot of people casually need health insurance, but you've had a lot of really serious, scariest like interactions with the medical system. Like you've had some intense like things you've had to go through. Yeah. And I've looked at medical bills and I look through the breakdown and I was really fortunate to have really good insurance, but I was also paying a ton of money for that insurance. But, you know, looking at the breakdown, like, like you said, they just upcharge for the tiniest things. Like there was a $30,000 charge just for like miscellaneous. <laughs> I was like, could, could right. you tell me a bit about this miscellany? That's a like, salary. That's a salary. Yeah. Oh, I, low salary. Then they just throw salary. it on there. Yeah. They're just like, no one, no one's going to look, you know, let's just kind of toss it in there. Who can I charge $30,000 for miscellaneous? Like, where, where do I get to put that? Like, how can I implement and that? And nobody oh. asks any questions. It's like, well, it kept her alive. So it was worth it. You can't argue with it. It's fine. Yeah. You got world-class care. It's like, okay, yes. But what about all the other charges that are paying for the care? It's <laughs> funny that there's a gap between like, you either provide world-class care or you, like your two options are provide world-class care that this person's going to have to pay for or let them die and probably go to prison. Like, this is not, come on. Yeah. World-class care. How, yeah. Just fucking care. Like, how do you know it's world-class? I don't think all care in America just because it's here is world-class. Like, it's ridiculous. You know what we should do? We should start, like, a pop-up restaurant. And it should be, like, how you get charged in a hospital. Funny. And we... And we like charge people extra for, like, the fork they dropped on the floor or, like, yeah. some other shit. And it would be just, like, a really... You know, every refill people like monopoly money in the beginning. Yeah. You give them monopoly money and you're like, you get the experience of healthcare, but it's in a restaurant and um, you can use your monopoly money, but you still might end up poor. 
yeah. <laughs> or or have to borrow monopoly money right. in order to to pay your bills. Yes. But you can also ask millions of strangers for help. I think that's a, that's very smart. If Bernie yeah. runs, then again, he definitely needs to make this part of his his Medicare for all pitch. Bernie won't buy a brush, so I don't think Bernie is making a fake hospital restaurant. But like, you know, maybe we can get the brand to sponsor it. They're the ones yeah. that want money. We'll charge them thirty thousand dollars just just because miscellaneous, <laughs> right? Or right. it'd be cool to like do it with a hotel or something. Yeah, uh, we gave you sheets, so that will be twenty thousand dollars, mm-hmm. and um, soap, so that's another ten. You turned the AC on. We're talking about the mini bar, Marissa. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the hospital is. It's just a huge fucking life-sustaining mini bar. And if you don't take a, a million dollar Snickers, then you're going to die. Okay. So if anyone who knows anyone <laughs> listening owns a venue, would be down to try this All experiment. All Sammy and I do is like, what if we did this stunt? What if we did that stunt? What if we did this in the airport? <laughs> yeah. Just need um, so a few million dollars. Has, you know missile connections to a venue that wants to do this. I really think it'd be fun. You definitely get a lot of eyes on your venue and you know, you wouldn't have to do this beyond the one. Ben and Jerry's could do it at a Ben and Jerry's. I bet. You know? Yeah, I guess we could do Ben and Jerry's. I'd rather something like sit down, you know, where the person has to like experience it. Yeah. No, but I bet if we, we can take this offline, but I bet if we approached Ben and Jerry's, they would create a sit down experience with this concept. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Okay. Maybe we'll need to crowd hype this. (laughs) CC Ben, CC Jerry. We're into it. (laughs) Jerry at Ben and Jerry's.com. We'll just go to perfect. Yeah. They're alive, but I don't think they are involved with like the day-to-day operations of Ben and Jerry anymore. We'll look into it, but let's get to our topics for the day. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Today, we're going to start with Republican you not. This is where we are just discussing some Republicans who we prefer would not, which is most of the things that they do. But we have a handful of dispatches from Turning Point USA's annual Student Action Summit in Tampa, Florida. Now, I just want to take a minute 
I just want to take a minute to see and sit, just involve our senses. I just want to imagine ourselves in that ballroom. What does the ballroom of Turning Point USA's annual student action summit in Tampa, Florida feel like to you? What does it, what does it smell like? It feels like virginity, loneliness, despair, (laughs) despair is disgusting. Mother's tuna casserole. It's like was trying to be Mar-a-Lago at one point. It has so like okay. Ugly, um, you're ribbons. thinking specifically of the of the venue. I'm thinking of the clientele. I'm thinking oh. of the people there and what they're adding. Oh, I mean, the people who came to the reproductive clinic. <laughs> Full of them. I also feel like it's like not as crowded as we might imagine. That's true. It's true. Might be breezy. Yeah, like I feel like everyone has a ample room. I feel like everyone can do a little stretch, like stretch out their arms and not touch mm-hmm. anyone next to them. So social distancing by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think everyone's kind of just like chilling, sitting, like eating a nature Valley bar while like, that's why the, that's why the floors are filthy. Yeah. There's nature Valley bar crumbs everywhere. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> just I have crunch, an idea crunch. that there's like, there's like one, like there's like one girl's like Dolce and Gabbana light blue. That's like doing the work of sanitizing <laughs> the air in the entire room. <laughs> I'm picturing a lot of like uncleaned beards. Yeah. With, like, It'll... um, yeah, uncleaned beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, leftover food from the other day. Exactly. So that's where we're at. That's the scene that we have set. There are probably weapons. There are probably weapons. It's not safe. It doesn't it doesn't smell or feel good. But I I agree. Probably plenty of space. So Ted Cruz and Matt Gates specifically, two of the most irksome men in the United States, had some things to share with their with these students. Let's start with Ted Cruz in an incredibly uncreative attempt. I think that's very important to note that this was just an uncreative, not funny thing that both of these guys do. Ted Cruz told students at the summit over the weekend that his pronouns are that his pronouns are kiss my ass. We'll play a clip for the listeners. I talked to a student recently at one of our woke college campuses who said she is required in every class to introduce herself and to give her pronouns. Well, I'm Ted Cruz, and my pronoun is kiss my ass. So it sounds like he's just preparing his his tight tent to open for Dave Chappelle there. And I also want to mention Matt Gates's statement here. And we can kind of like talk about them together. So I'm not going to play Matt Gates's statement. It's I put it on our feed yesterday because it's just really fat phobic and like it he's full of shit, but it it is kind of gross and upsetting to hear some of the stuff he says. Not even as much as what he was saying, as much as the fact that he clearly had a very receptive audience, like, you know, regardless of how big it was, he basically just suggested that only thin, conventionally attractive women get abortions. He correlated anger over the loss of our reproductive rights to level of attractiveness. And he just did that in like various, various unfunny ways. And the reason I wanted to bring these guys up today is because I am genuinely confused about what the intended effect is here. Why are they doing this? Like, what's the point of this? What strategic advantage do they see for themselves here? Like, they had a receptive audience. What's going on here? Why are they doing this? I think that women women are more confident and have more of a voice than they ever have in history, despite the fact that we have all these setbacks. And guys like Gates and Cruz really hate that. And the thing that really stuck out to me in Gates's comments was how angry he sounded. I mean, he sounded so butthurt and like 
he just had been sitting and stewing with these feelings for so long. And he, he's just like, how can I lash out at, at these people who have this power that I never thought that they would actually have? He's so resentful that he, a white heterosexual cisgender man, he was raised to think that he was always going to run the world. And he's saying that he's not running the world. He's actually a big fucking joke. And, um, he's trying to turn the joke around onto mm -hmm. other people, but he ends up looking like a clown as usual. Jokes about pronouns are like the lowest hanging fruit. It's like how comedians should never talk about airports because like, it's just <laughs> such a like, no, get some originality. It's like, they really think that they are fucking George Carlin when they make a stupid pronoun joke. Like, no, you're just, it's, it's boring. Your joke is boring. It's not even like, you know. That's, I know. That's the thing. It's like so much of this material is just like reheated garbage. And I can't believe they still get laughs out of it. Like right. if I can't, I can't off the top of my head think of like a liberal equivalent, but like if someone, a progressive kept making the same joke over or progressive just kept making the same joke over and over and over. And we'd be like, all right, relax. Like right. Nancy, we right. get it. Like, <laughs> ha ha. Like we laughed like four years ago, but like maybe trying to move on. Like you seem really obsessed with this topic in a very unhealthy way. And like, maybe there's something else going on there. Like you seem deeply yeah. uncomfortable. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There, it is just so icky to see there are increasingly few spaces where you can get away with just openly ridiculing women and minorities. And that is obviously a fabulous thing. I mean, probably more than are acceptable. So just to see how like gleefully they take these opportunities is it, it just like pinches me. It feels weird as much as I know that not a lot of people are paying attention to them. And I don't think this is something that, that voters like it's just, it stings. Well, I actually think, okay, I know we're sort of like, you know, writing it off as like silly insults. And, you know, I just did that obviously, but I think that like this, this cultural element is actually key to the enforcement of the patriarchy. Because if you think about the way that like the patriarchy wants to tell women that they are, you know, it, it's this benevolent sexism of like, oh, you're so special and delicate. Like that's how you get this like Madonna whore complex. So it's like, if women aren't fitting into this, like ideal woman that they should be according to patriarchal ideas Th that is just as important as like the yeah. physical enforcement of it of the fact that men are decision makers these types of comments are required so that women understand that their place is to be pretty and available to men and if you're not that then you are at the bottom of the hierarchy of women within this patriarchy. And that social enforcement between women as well, from men to women and women to women, is just as powerful as the actual mm -hmm. structure of things. Because if you don't, that's why this kind of conversation that we're having is so challenging. That's why we're like ugly liberal feminists, because, mm -hmm. oh, they're, you know, they, they don't like that, you know, they're not this like perfect woman, like Kelly Leffler type of woman, you know? So I think that it, yes, it's, you know, meant to galvanize them, but there is an actual mechanism that this, you know, that this functions as. 
Yeah, I think that they are trying to signal like this is a this is a power that we still have over them. And luckily, I think that like fewer and fewer people buy buy into that. But there are plenty there are plenty with power that still do. Another aggrieved man regaling the Turning Point audience uh, with the Times woman dared to suggest he display some humanity is Josh Hawley. We'll skip his speech. We've been through enough, but I think he was making fun of um you know, the professor that absolutely dragged him um, a couple of weeks ago. So another example, just like this of like, you know, g- galvanizing this crowd kind of like against this person that made him look like an idiot. So we will discuss his absolutely dragging of the January 6th committee. We haven't recorded since Thursday's big hearing where one of the highlights was a video showing Senator Josh Hawley fleeing from the rioters who hours earlier he'd raised his fist to in solidarity. Did you guys see some of the takes from inside the room where people like actually audibly laughed at that clip? Yeah, it was really beautiful. It was was lovely. It was fantastic. (laughs) It was a religious experience. (laughs) That was the height of comedy because, you know, you don't usually get, I don't usually like a slapstick, but yeah. It was surprising. It was like a surprising sort of like relief. It was like, what did I just see? Because he like darts past and then they slow it down. It's like, it's like, yeah, runs better in slow motion. Did anyone else? Yes, totally. Has a perfectly straight back. I mean, bravo, bravo, bravo to whoever put that together. But it was just like really peak physical comedy. Yes. I mean, like (laughs) think like Kramer and Seinfeld, just using your body to make people laugh. And I think that's so beautiful. And it's the only and only gift Josh Holly will ever give to us. Um, so I think we have to cherish it. To think he could have just, he had two paths and to think he could have gone down that one. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a real shame. It's a real shame. Other big moments from the hearing included former aides testifying about the 187 minutes Trump spent not calling office supporters or personally involving law enforcement. And of course, the two minute outtakes of Trump attempting to record his message to the protesters, refusing to come down on them too harshly and struggling with the word yesterday. So both you you guys both live and breathe politics. These are the first of this set of hearing. However, the committee has said that we have more to do. We have more to show you. What is your impression of the hearing's impact so far on more casual news consumers, especially after the last one, perhaps because of those moments of comedy? You know, I saw a much bigger swell of kind of like mainstream kind of mainstream reaction to it. Marissa, how have you interpreted these hearings? What is your sense that uh, people around you have have learned from them? Well, I think the interesting thing has been because I've I've watched all of them and um, trying to divine what will be the highlight after the fact is is an interesting game i mean like with the holly running like obviously that was going to be it like there was no no chance anything was going to break through (laughs) but um you know i think that it has broken through to some more casual news consumers people are definitely aware of it uh, especially because there were two primetime hearings which i Mm -hmm. think were great i wish all of them had been on primetime to be honest uh, I think they said like over 17 million people watched the last one. So that's obviously goes beyond just like, you know, uh, annoying people on Twitter. <laughs> that, that's that's mainstream. But I do think that it's a little frustrating seeing what does break through from mm-hmm. the hearings. I mean, the throwing of the ketchup and the all the r- kind of ridiculous moments because it's such a horrible thing to wrap your head around what happened that day that it's almost like, we can only process the kind of like humorous pieces of it. And mm-hmm. like to that end, I mean, in the most recent one, there was a detail shared that 
people, I believe it was Secret Service members, were calling their loved ones from inside the Capitol and saying goodbye to them. They thought they were going to die. And all anyone's talking about is, and myself included, is Josh Hawley uh, running like a weirdo. Mm -hmm. And um, I wish there was a way to kind of better distill the things that we really need to take away from these hearings so that people are able to recognize how important they are. Yeah, that's actually the part that stuck out to me most was Pence's security detail. Like they thought they were going to die. And that was, I mean, that's the most, I think, important salient point, like, because it really speaks to the danger that they felt that they were in with having more knowledge than what we watched on TV. Like we would have seen, oh, they're probably in danger, but whatever they knew internally, they felt that there was additional reason to be afraid. And I don't think that people who are frequently, whose job is to potentially have to kill themselves for the president any day, I don't think that those people take those calls lightly. Mm -hmm. So my guess is that they really thought that there was some chance of something happening. And what these hearings have done is it basically just told us, I think we all understood the general narrative you know, beforehand. Maybe we didn't have each piece in place, but we knew about the tours on the 5th. We knew about the Oath Keepers and the Willard Hotel. And we knew that there was coordination between them, but it doesn't, we didn't know before that like that December 14th tweet was was a result of that meeting where he couldn't do a military coup. And so the plan for January 6th hatched from the inability to get the military to seize voting machines. So What it has really done is thrown into clarity which points were worth paying attention to and which are actually the turning points of everything. Like the the 2 p.m. tweet on on January 6th didn't have nearly as much meaning or we didn't know the full intent behind it until we found out that he thought Pence was going to die and he was like Mm -hmm. encouraging it kind of. No, not kind of. Like he wouldn't have minded. you know, I think there's questions about like the the bombs at the DNC. Like, why were they not discovered when Kamala like drove right by it a few hours later? All of these pieces of information are now clear and established rather than like, you know, texting my friends, like conspiracy theory. Like it's not. It's actually these are the facts that happened. Um, and I think that, you know, I don't think the I think because there are two Republicans on on the committee, they are not letting this go. No, absolutely. I wish I could say that about like an all Democrat held led committee, but I don't actually think that it would be as effective. And that sucks. But I think it so. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I have to say, like, you you don't under any circumstances have to hand it to Liz Cheney. But I, I will say that. And in the the very specific context of this hearing, I think she's doing a really good job. I mean, she, especially just, she's very natural. She doesn't seem like she's reading from a teleprompter. She's very poised and controlled. And I think you're absolutely right that if, if, I mean, the, it's chaired by a Democrat, but she's the co-chair, the vice chair. And um, that's really powerful. And I mean, she obviously does not have very good standing in her own party right now, nor does Adam Kinzinger, but um, there is something about the fact that there is an R next to their name mm-hmm. that means 
it counts for something. It definitely counts for something. But I also think the thing that really struck me from this last hearing was that um, by detailing what he was doing and what he wasn't doing on the actual six, that was the best day of his life. I think. <laughs> I, I think January 6th was the best day of Donald Trump's life because he sat in his dining room for over three hours and just watched people fighting for him on his behalf and attacking a sacred American institution in a way that no one ever had before. And for all the catch-up throwing and the, the screaming and the whatever, he had a great day. And I think that that's really scary. I wish you were on the committee. If they could have said that, like January 6th was one of the best days of his life. Like, yeah, like thinking about it that way, like I imagine like we all think about what our eulogies would sound like. And like, to me, that's sort of like, if I could just watch people talk about how awesome I was, hopefully for like four hours, I would be so happy. And this man got to watch thousands of people like go against their country for him. And he loved that. Yeah, and absolutely. He, and he got to kick it off, you know, with mm-hmm. his speech. He was like the MC, yeah. he was oh the God. ringleader, and he was like, go forth and prosper. And they they did it. And some people were killed because of mm-hmm. him. And he was thrilled. Yeah. Do you think it was the best day of his life? Because I mean it's it was like, I can think of six others in the running. <laughs> I don't, I don't I don't think One it was his third birthday. birthday. <laughs> I do I do think that he got probably the most amount of narcissistic supply ever from this because not only is it like an amazing thing that like happened to him like it's not the same as like <laughs> oh getting a tv show like anyone can get a tv show he famously never won an emmy so that couldn't have been the best day of his life um but did he i think this probably felt like oh my gosh no one has ever done this for anyone before this is the nicest thing anyone's ever done for me mm-hmm. it feels like he was like, well, no one's ever wanted to coup for a different president before. So I feel that like, had he gotten what he wanted, it probably would have been the best day. But, but like, I don't know. I think he has too much rage to ever have like a good day. <laughs> well, you know, best day in terms of his, the days in his life. For Donald so, Trump. Yeah. And like the, you're saying like he got this like hit of narcissism. Like it was the the pinnacle of what a narcissist could ever want to see happen. And so for him, I think that would measure as pretty much the best day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I think he had a really good time. Yeah. But, and also it kind of goes back to what you said before about how he, you don't think he's a person without stress. Like he was still completely stressed and off the wall throughout January 6th. But at the end of the day, as far as like his favorite things in the world, um, attention and power, he got both of them. And so it's kind of hard to beat that. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You guys were talking about um, what I thought was really striking, just sort of like a period on these hearings for, between January 6th and, and what we heard last week was that a lot of what we finally heard in the end sounded very similar to everything that AOC said within, you know, like six days. But then it was from, you know, AOC woke liberal member of the squad and she was undermined and doubted and called hysterical. And now it's like you, you have this guy saying, I heard on the radio, Mike Pence's detail fearing for their lives. Like we know that this was people from every background. And, and like you both said, I mean, I think what they were really effective in showing was that this wasn't like something that um, was an accident that Donald Trump failed just just was in over his head to contain. This was he orchestrated. This was it went exactly according to plan, if not slightly off, because it wasn't successful. 
yeah, I mean, he he thought that he could control Mike Pence and ultimately um, he couldn't. And that doesn't make Mike Pence a resistance hero by any stretch. And mm-hmm. I, no. I really think that he needs to testify before this committee because there's so much speculation about what he was doing and how he was reacting. And, and I mean, you obviously know that he, in his heart, hates Donald Trump. I mean, there's no way that like he has good feelings towards no. him. <laughs> But he's such an insane Republican that he like will literally sacrifice his life and reputation instead of going up against this guy who's become the standard bearer of the party. And it's it's really pathetic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mark Leibovich made an interesting point about that in his book. Like he Pence had spent four years never standing up to anyone or anything. And you suddenly expect that on this day he's going to stand up to Congress the Supreme Court, like every one who was saying no, like that wasn't going to happen on that last day. Mm-hmm. Although like, I feel like he tried. He would have done it if he could have. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We don't we don't have time to get fully into this, but in the op-eds in the Wall Street Journal and um, the New York Post, I think the Wall Street Journal one was basically just like up oh, Mike Pence's ass. It was like, we're done with Trump. Pence on the other end. Now Pence is our guy. <laughs> I don't know. A hero, the guy, hero the guy for who, all of us. The guy who won't meet alone with women unless he's locked in a bunker with them when people are attacking the Capitol. It's the only time. Twenty twenty four. Yeah, imagine him like leaving the bunker. Like if there are only women in there with him, and he's like, "I'm sorry, but this goes against my faith. I must go face the insurrectionists." Like I could see that happening. You know what? If only the you know what the insurrectionists probably knew that, and they probably had some sort of plan. Like just corral him, and there's a woman over there. He can't go in there. Anyway, I'm glad for Mike Pence's sake that that. That that did not happen. And I hope nobody nobody takes notes on that. That is all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Marissa. We did not get to nearly enough. You definitely have to come back and unpack more for us. We have so much to talk about ahead of the midterms. Okay, awesome. Sounds great. We have a date for you, actually. Perfectly. Oh, yes. Perfect. Yes, I'll email you. (laughs) Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And I'm Marissa Kavis. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. Bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.